Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. They have a legend that uh, says that a swan, I don't know if this is science, I know this is legend, that says a swan um, will live its life in utter silence, and then just before uh, she dies, she will sing a uh, lone, minor key, beautiful song, and say as if everything inside of her, everything that she ever was, comes out in that one song. Uh, 2 Timothy is that for Apostle Paul. It is his swan song. It's the last thing that he wrote. It's a a good reminder. We're so thankful for a lot of things, and we ought to be. They're gifts from God. Um, But sometimes we forget what he has for us beyond the, I don't want to say superficial, but beyond the temporary And even here, as we look at the Apostle Paul's swan song, we can get a taste of maybe some of that which we ought to be more more thankful for. 30 years before we get to 2 Timothy, Apostle Paul was was, uh, moving. He was a a up-and-coming, highly educated mover and shaker in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus, and his goal is to uh, snuff out anybody who claims to be long to this Judaistic cult called the way we call Christianity. But he never gets there, at least not for the reason why he wanted, because in route, he's intercepted by the resurrected, ascended Jesus. To our knowledge, this is the only time in, in history where Jesus actually came back to earth, and he did it to rec- recruit the Apostle Paul. And so Apostle Paul, his life does a 180. He ends up living for this cult that he was trying to snuff out. I mean, giving everything for it. And it's going to cost him, and it starts to cost him. And so some people challenge him on this. You know, he was going to go on four different missionary tours. He was going to plant a lot of churches. He was going to write those churches letters of of discipleship. We have those in our New Testament, many of them. Um, But it was starting to take its toll. And when challenged, this is what he says in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so he sets off to finish his course. And the course is going to be a challenge for him because he's going to live his life um, under the threat of persecution continuously. He's going to live with mocking. He's going to live without shelter and without supper and with, with, without the comforts that he could have had. And, and those, this would be the good days for the Apostle Paul because on the bad days, that persecution would come to roost. He would be beaten by, with rods. He would be whipped multiple times. He'd be stoned and left for dead. Uh, he would experience bites by poisonous vipers. He would uh, spend a a night in the sea, near drowning. Uh, He spent many nights in prison. This is the price he would pay for the development, planting of the the church in uh, Turkey and in uh, Eastern Europe. 
And so in 2 Timothy, though, he's, he's in a dungeon, Roman dungeon, and he he's, uh, picks up pen and he starts to write. He's, he's thinking, he's evaluating his life is what he's doing. And as he does, he's wondering, maybe what did I trade the pr- prestige and position and, and comfort for? Well, he's languishing, cold and very lonely because a lot of his followers, a lot of his team members have left him, actually. In uh, 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And you look at that and you go, all in Asia, Paul? I mean, all? I mean, there's a lot of people in Asia. All? And there's probably a little hyperbole going on here. And yet, the Holy Spirit has to feel that there's enough to, with integrity, inspire the word all. Most of all of Paul's converts and most of his followers, they, they've left him. Paul spent his, his years building this church, and then with one, one stroke of Nero's pen, the, the Roman military comes in and shudders just about all of the churches. They, they murder the vast majority of believers that didn't turn coat and, and, and claim cowardice and, and walk away from Christ. And so Paul, some of his key leaders with him in, in, this, in this ministry have left. They've walked away. So Paul's by himself. He says, again, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this world, has deserted me. In 2 Timothy 4, 16, he says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He's alone. He also knows that his 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 headquarters for his Asian ministry, that's, that's his prominent, his, his crown jewel church, that's the church at Ephesus. Well, that one didn't get shuttered, but the wheels are falling off. This is kind of the reason why he's writing 2 Timothy. It's falling apart. And uh, Paul also knows this. You know, God has miraculously delivered him from the jaws of death many times, from prison many times, but somehow Paul knows not this time. Now, this time, the only way out of prison is via the executioner. And so he takes up his pen and he writes. You know, I, I'm, it's amazing, isn't it, that, that to our knowledge, Paul, his dying days, could have looked back over his life and thought it's all been for naught. All of my work is done. Nero's destroyed it. All my converts, they're all gone. People, my key workers are gone. I'm by myself in this prison and so he writes, you know, I, I turned, I, I remember when my mom turned 28, and, and I was like seven at the time, and I just, rem- I just remember this, we're in my, my front yard in Chicago, kind of like row houses, we have like a 10 by 10 piece of green grass that's our front yard, and I just heard my mom say that she, uh, so, told somebody that she was 28 years of age, and I remember just looking at her going, how does one get that old? Oh my goodness, wow, I mean, I'm seven, I'm thinking, Wow. The year I turned 30, uh, that was a tough birthday for me. I listened to Randy Stonehill's Turning 30 many, many times that year. In just a couple weeks, I turned 62. And, you know, there's just something sobering about realizing that most of your dreams and aspirations and best days of your life, as it were, they're behind you. And at least there are many more days in the rear view than ahead of you. 
And I know that death is not a respecter of age, but, you know, it dawns on me once in a while, okay, okay, Harris, if you're to sing your swan song this year, what would it sound like? Would it be filled with uh, regrets of stuff I didn't do? Would it be filled with, with, with maybe deals made with God? Would it be filled with... Um, the ragings of an angry man shaking his fist at heaven because God called my number too soon as if there's a number written down somewhere that we're promised. Well, what we want to do this morning is we want to look at Paul's swan song and just see if there's anything there for us. And so if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, but you got your phone, I'd pull, out, pull it out, go to your Bible app. You're going to want to see this, because we're going to go through verse by verse, as we're going, to, we're going to move through this quickly. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, dot, dot. Wait just a second here. Because I have tried to think through, do we have an English or cultural equivalent to what Paul is doing here? And we don't. It's hard to explain. You know, his first three chapters, he was very serious. Paul's not a jokester sort of person. He was very serious. But chapter four, he takes it up a level. He uses the most intense committal language that he would ever use. I mean, he, he's swearing here. He's entering into an oath. He's swearing by, look what he's swearing by, God, by Jesus who will judge, by Jesus' return, by the kingdom. And you got to know these words for Paul, they were not empty phrases, right? They were the essence of reality. This is what all that really was is God the kingdom, Christ, this is it. And it's, it's as if he's, he's reaching through his letter to, to Timothy's face. You ever do this to your kids? And he grabs his face and he kind of pulls him right up to him. And he says, Timothy, you've got to hear me here because I'm on my way out. You can't forget this. I'm going to tell you something and you just can't forget it because, because, because Jesus will judge you, Timothy. And he's going to judge everybody in your, in your stead. Everybody you know. He will judge them. And he's going to come back. Could come back tomorrow. This is urgent. You can't drop the ball on this, Timothy. It's so, so important. And when he ushers in his kingdom, those who are in are in. But those who, who didn't get in, there's no second chance. So, so you can't miss what I'm going to tell you here, Timothy. Live by it. It, it, is, it is you. And then he gives the charge. And you might say, well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm glad I'm not Timothy. Because that's kind of an intense thing. But here's the deal. Each of us, if you're following Christ, are. This text is for us. And so what you have to kind of try to picture here is Paul reaching through the text to your face. And he's grabbing your face and he's pulling it close and he's saying, listen, you can't miss this. This is not an option. This is obligatory language here, mandatory language. You can't miss this. And then he gives the, the charge. And that's in 4.2. He says, here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You know, there's a lot of things in that little verse. And we're, gonna, we're not going to sermon so much today as Bible study. We're going to work our way through this. Um, but that first phrase, preach the word, you might say, well, is he calling me to be a preacher? Well, no. 
And yes, right? It's, no, you don't have to be the, hold the office of pastor. You don't have to come up with a three-point sermon and preach it on Sunday morning. I mean, some of us he may call that, but, but no, that's not what Paul's talking about here. The word preach is just the word proclaim. It's say. Say the word. Tell the word. And what Paul is saying to Timothy and to you and I. So listen, if you follow Christ, you, you know something that other people don't know. Yeah, you've got grace given to you, and you've got hope because you've got forgiveness of sins, and you've got your destiny figured out. But a lot of people don't know that. You are to be the catalyst for that. If you, you think about it, the, the only thing that we can't do in heaven better than down here is share our faith. You're going to be able to worship a whole lot better in heaven than we can down here. And we're going to be able to know his word and pray a whole lot better in heaven than we down in here. So he says, most important thing, you are to live for, you are to be about, you are to be obsessed with. This is to be who you are. That's to share it, say it. And then look, he goes on, he's going to define that a little bit. And so he says that we're to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Well, what does that mean? Well, we can compartmentalize fairly well, I can and we can say, you know what, okay, I preach Sunday, I'm done now, okay, I can relax till next time I got a breach. Or I've taught my DL lesson, okay, I'm done now for a week. Or I met with my, my folk in greenhouse, and so I'm done with that, or my men's frat table, or my Bible study, and so I did that, but now I'm done for a while. And he's saying here, no, 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 not, no, you're not. I mean, be prepared in season on Sunday and on Monday through Saturday. He's saying, be prepared. You've got to be speaking. This has got to be who you're about. Um, when it's convenient for you and when it's inconvenient for you. When you're, you're feeling good and when you're not feeling good. When your faith is, is strong. When your faith is weak. When people are applauding you for sharing and when they're cursing you for sharing. He says, all the time. This is what you're about, Timothy. All the 24-7. You're in season and out of season. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, I, I've tried to figure out how to say this right, and I'm not so sure I've nailed it, so you're going to have to stay really close with me because these three words are a package deal. You've got to have all three of them. This, this defines what, how we say what we're supposed to say and why we're... First word, reprove. Reprove means to straighten out faulty thinking. You come across someone, they've got faulty thinking about God, or they've got faulty thinking about the judgment, or heaven, or the Bible. Uh, they want to know Christ, they're trying to grow, but they've got faulty thinking about God's values. And our job, your job, my job, is to help them understand God's thinking. This is Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila. Remember this? They pull Apollos aside because he's teaching some stuff that's not exactly correct. And, and they, they correct his faulty thinking. And so reprove is to correct faulty thinking. Re rebuke is to correct faulty living. You see, a believer claims to love the Lord, wants to grow in Christ, but yet they're doing some things in their life that mm, there's just some incongruity here. And so our task, because not just, well, everyone's got to do their thing. This, if, if this is true, you know what? That's dangerous for them. That's going to hurt them. Now, if it's not true, let's, we're playing a game, so let's just forget it all. But if this is true, then this is really bad for them. And so we pull them aside, and you help them see and understand God's word. This is why we do Bible study, not by, so we can just know more stuff, but so that we can share God's thinking and, and God's will for other people. But this is 
why these are a package deal, you have to include them all. Because of this third word, exhort. Exhort is the normal word for just helping them understand God's word. But it's done in a pastoral presence. It's done with kindness and with gentleness and with love and humility. You see why you got to take all these together? Because there are people, aren't there people, who love those first two words? They're just going to reprove and rebuke and just they're going to write their blogs, what's wrong with the Western church, and what's wrong with the church, and what's wrong with all these Christians, what's wrong with everybody, and what's wrong with you. And, and, and yeah, reprove, reprove, rebuke, they might have that one down. But you have to have it done in a spirit of gentleness and where the person knows that, that they are loved by you. You know, I've been rebuked. I don't know if you've ever been called out. I've been called out. And I'm just telling you, you know that when the person loves you and you know they love you, it's a whole lot easier to take, isn't it? It's just a whole lot easier to take. You get a whole lot further down the road. Galatians 6, I think Paul mentions this with this. It's just fascinating. Look at how he says it. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this rep reproving, rebuking is done in a spirit of uh, gentleness, humility. I can fall. I have. I'm a mess. I got it. I'm a hot mess. But sharing God's word through that. And he lets us know as he goes on, that there are a couple of different occupational hazards with committing to share God's word. First one is frustration. Has this ever happened to you? you, know, if, you taught, if you ever taught uh, junior high, uh, Sunday school, this has probably happened to you, um, where you, you, you study hard and you really get the lesson down. And then you get in there, and paper airplanes are flying, or spitballs are flying, and people are sleeping and goofing around, and you're going, you know what? Why am I doing this? Why am I all swine? I'm casting my pearls before swine here. You know, you just, you're just you're frustrated. You know, you go to your greenhouse thing, or you go to your DL deal, or you go to your men's frat table, and you go to your Bible study, and you know that everyone's going to go out, and they're going to live just as hellene as they came in, and you're thinking, man, why am I wasting my time? Or you go to your Christmas deal at your in-law's house, and there's Uncle Harry, and Uncle Harry loves to pick a fight with you because of your faith. You're going, really, really? And so he comes at you again. And maybe you say something, he rolls his eyes, and they start laughing. And you're going, you know what? I am done. Okay, okay, Uncle Harry, forget you, man. You just lost your chance. Okay, you're done. You've heard it. So Paul says, we're to preach the word. We're to share. We're to talk. We're to share this. We're to do it in season and out of season. We're to reprove and rebuke and exhort. With what, though? With great patience. Because Paul knows Paul's in prison, he knows that we're dealing with really broken people, like us. We're dealing with people who've got a lot of baggage. We're dealing with people who've been victims of Satan's discipleship techniques, and his techniques are well thought out. They're very, very effective. Holy Spirit's more powerful, but, but, but they've, they've, they're, they are in bondage. And so Paul says, you, you keep at it. You don't think anyone's listening. You think that they're not paying attention. You think that you keep at it. Great Patience, great patience. Then a second occupational hazard is related to this, isn't it? It's, it's that idea of sloppy study. You know, no one's going to listen anyway. You know, I'm a busy person. 
and they should just be happy that I'm doing this at all anyway. I'm just here. So, you know, so we, we recognize that they're not going to pay any attention. We recognize that our words are going to be wasted. Why am I wasting my time? And so Paul says, no, no, you do this with careful instruction. Years ago, I was listening to a, a message by uh, John MacArthur. John MacArthur, uh, pastor on the West Coast. Some of y'all know him, know of him. Um, he was speaking, and he said that he got a letter that week from a, a college student in his church. She teaches a little girl Sunday school class, and she wrote him. She said, Dr. MacArthur, I teach a Sunday school class, little girls here in your church, and I just love my class. I love the little girls. I love their curls. I love their hair. I love the way they talk. I love the way they dress. I love their, their innocence. I just love my little girls. She said, but sometimes during the week, I'm pretty busy. Or sometimes I go out Saturday night and I don't have time to prepare as I probably should. And so sometimes I just would read the lesson from the book or sometimes I just forget the book altogether and just tell stories about my life. I have nothing to do with it. And recently I realized maybe I don't love the little girls as much as I thought I did. Because if I did, I would work hard to give them the one thing that they really need to understand Christ and his gift for them. I need, I'd, I'd, I'd put together and study through the, a lesson that would help them understand what God's will is for their lives so they can grow up to be the, the women that God has for them to be. And so if we're teaching in DL or wherever else here, if we're prepping, I understand stewardship of time issues. I got it, I got it, I got it. But after that's said and done, we just need to be faithful. Where, you know, it's, it's almost, Lord, if no one listens to a thing, no one listens to a thing, I need you to know that I've done the best I could do. Here's it, here it is, that's my offering to you. Uh, as blameless as I could have it be. So careful instruction. And then, then Paul says this. He says there's reasons why we have this charge. We have this charge because we're in a truth war. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We know that, that uh, we don't live in a culture, society, where uh, truth, capital T, is very well accepted. Matter of fact, the, the postmodern world is telling us there is no such thing as truth, capital T. Everybody's got your own truth, small t. And the name of the game, key virtue in this world is, is tolerance. You accept everybody's truth. Key sin is exclusivity. If you say, no, no, there is a truth that trumps it, whoa, we don't go there. And every, so, not every, but many social media influencers are going down that road, and you're getting it in the classroom, and you're getting it in marketing, and you're getting it everywhere. And if we just sit back and let it go, saying it can't hurt us, what is going to do the next generation or two? I don't know. Humanly speaking, it's not a good thing. But false teaching will have a, a, an effect on us. It's going to be a pretty substantial effect, actually. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul's talking about false teaching here. And he says their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene, that's a word, isn't it? You know, gangrene is rotting dead flesh. Because of a lack of blood flow. I mean, it's putrid. It's rotting. It's destructive. It hurts. He said, if we don't fight this truth war, 
we got to know this is spreading, and it will hurt. It will. Now, years ago, I was a freshman at Moody. I was into uh, open-air evangelism, so we would go out and street preach often. And we had a van that was tricked out for street preaching. It's really interesting. You'd pull up to the curb, and there'd be a little platform you'd pull out. You could stand on it. The doors would open, and there'd be a big uh, pad there that you could write on and paint on as you're preaching. And they would have the shell that would come up over the uh, platform so that your voice would reflect off. It's really kind of cool. And we went downtown the Loop, Chicago, around noon. And it's nothing downtown Loop, Chicago, to draw 40 people doing this. It's, it's normal. And so we got there, and we pulled up, we started pulling our, getting our van all ready, and around the corner came out probably, I think, 10 guys, um, black guys, I'm thinking they're, they're like 6'2", they all look like they were linebackers, they were in, wearing camouflage pants, t-shirts, berets, sunglasses, they were part of the black Muslims, and they came and they just stood in front of us. And we're thinking, okay, this is not going to go very well. But so we're trying to engage them in conversation, but they would have none of that. They're, they're just focusing straight at that van, at the guy that's going to get up there and preach. I'm glad I wasn't preaching that day. Because as soon as this guy started preaching, they went off. One guy pulled out this picture. I'm sure you've maybe seen this. It's a, it's a traditional sort of picture of Jesus, blonde flowing hair. He's got the real pale skin. And he's holding this up, screaming, these people want to su subject you to their white God. They want you to submit again to the white man. And they're all going off with this kind of thing. This one guy in front of me turned. He's facing me. So his back is to the van. And he's getting nose to nose. He's just spitting. He's so angry. He's calling me all kinds of stuff, just daring me to touch him so he could deck me. And, he, and all of a sudden, I notice that our leader, the guy who's supposed to be teaching us, he's, he's, no one's assaulting this guy. He's standing next to the van, just kind of leaning against the van, watching everything that's unfolding. And all of a sudden, I notice this looks like it's about 17-year-old uh, black guy comes up and starts talking to the leader. I'm thinking, okay, now the leader's going to get it. So I kind of keep looking over to see if I can learn something here. What should I do? And the, uh, uh, they start talking. It looks like a civil conversation. And then they bow their heads, both of them, in prayer as the leader puts his hand on this guy's shoulder. And then when they lift their heads, the leader reaches into the van. He pulls out a Bible and gives this guy. Well, none of us were, were killed that day. But on our way back, found out that this, this guy came up to the leader and said, what is it that has taken you guys down here to present yourselves in such a hostile environment? I, I, I need to know this. So the, the leader shared with him Christ. And he said, I need that. And this guy accepted Christ. All to say, when we fight the truth, we're not to be hostile or obnoxious. Paul's not saying that. But there are people... Who, who God has prepared their hearts. There are others watching. There are others listening. And so we fight the, the truth war. We, we, we have to. Second reason he mentions is we have this church because we're up to bat. It's our turn. When uh, Moses was getting ready to leave in Deuteronomy 31, he gave the baton to Joshua. When Elijah was getting ready to leave, he gave the baton to Elisha. When Paul's getting ready to leave here, he gives the, the baton to Timothy. Guess who's holding the baton today? We are. You might say, well, I, I don't want the baton. You got it. You got it. You say, well, you know, listen, hang on, hang on, time out here. Where's that pause button? Because, you know what, I don't speak very well. And I get tongue-tied, and I get real nervous, and I say stupid things and heretical things, and I just don't want to misrepresent. And, you know, they're going to ask me questions I don't know. And 
that's not for me. You know, you can't really use that excuse because Moses tried that one with God. Look at Exodus 4. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Lord, I can't go. I, 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 don't, I don't speak so well. And the Lord's response. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The Lord says, I know your limitations. I gave you your limitations. I know them very well. And I'm telling you, go. You might say, well, I'm okay. Well, you know what? Yes, yes, I'll do that in time. But, you know, right now, uh, I need to grow more. I just need some more discipleship. That's what I, I need some more study. I just need to grow more because they're going to ask me questions I don't know. And so I just need to learn this better. And that's what I'm going to do. You can't go down that road. Because Jeremiah went down that road. Jeremiah 1.6, the Lord told him to go. And he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. For I am only a youth. I'm too young. I'm too young in my faith. I don't understand this yet. But look what the Lord said to Jeremiah. Do not say, I am only a youth. Right? For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. This is a real issue. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. We'd say, well, you know, uh, here's the reality. Reality is I'm not cut out of that cloth. I mean, other people, I mean, I'll tell you what, I will pray, I will give, I will serve, and some other way, I use my hands, but I am not, not use, no, that's just not who I am. You know what? Amos thought that. Amos was a uh, rancher in the southern kingdom, Judah, about 750. And, and God taps him on the shoulder and says, I want you to go north to Israel, the nation of Israel. It's, it's kind of a hostile environment. And so he goes, and he goes to the, the, the um, palace city of Bethel, and he starts to proclaim the message God gave him. Amaziah, the king of the north, does not like this. And so Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of his kingdom. So get out of here. Get lost. Get out of town. Right? That's what he's telling him. And look at Amos's response. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Amos's response. It's a great response. He's saying, Amaziah, you think this was my idea? Are you serious? <laughs> you think I think this is fun? Listen, I don't want to be here. I, have a, I realize I'm clueless here. I'm not a prophet. I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a rancher, for crying out loud. I'm, I'm a picking fig farmer. That's what I've done. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a medical person. I'm a sales clerk. I'm, I'm into IT. I don't, and this is not who I am. But the Lord said, go. So here I am. Deal with it. That's kind of Amos' response. It's a good response. It's a good response because God knows our limitations. He knows who he made us. He knows that the charge that he's given to us, this has always been on his mind. You know, Jesus, when he called his first disciples, he didn't say, follow me and I will take you to heaven. And he will, 
But that isn't what he said. Follow me, uh, and I will give you peace and joy like you've never seen before. He'll do that too. But that wasn't the deal. Follow me, and I'll teach you to pray. And that's a good thing. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, followers fish. That's what they do. That's who they are. That's what they're about. And the third reason he gives this charge for us, he says, we have this charge because we've got an appointment with the reward ceremony. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who love his appearing. I like this because he doesn't say, I've won the good fight. No, no, I've been knocked down a lot. Well, I don't know if I won this one. He doesn't say, I've won the race. No, 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 no. I crossed the line limping. I was a mess. But he crossed the line. He finished. And you notice that the reward is not because he won. It's just because he did. He, he, he did that which God asked him to do. And so we can sing Paul's swan song, if God calls it on our time, that I finished the task you've given me to do. I fought the good fight. I've, I've finished the race. I've, I've kept the faith. We can sing that. Or you can sing something else, and a lot of people do. It goes like this. It says, and now the end is near. And so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. He says, yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. For what is a man? And what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show that I took all the blows and did it my way. I think those two songs, Paul's swan song and Frank's, are competing. And I don't know the, the Frank Sinatra's spiritual journey. But I do know if this is your swan song, this is a damning swan song so we can do it our way or we can sing Paul's and do it God's way right we can we can take the charge that he's given us I don't know how many days I got left here Lord but I'm going to commit him I'm going to be praying hard you know I don't feel prepared I don't feel ready I don't feel good about this at all but if this is the task you've given me help me to say the word Help me to be ready all the time. Help me to do it with the right spirit. Help me to do it with some courage. Help me to do it with patience. And help me to do it with careful study that you might get the glory. Let's pray. Lord, because every one of us here is here because we're the recipients of somebody taking us serious. Somebody who, who reached out to us. They thought enough about us spiritually to maybe even call us out to share with us this incredible message. And by your grace, Lord, through faith, you allow us to, to see. Would you use us? 
Oh, God, may we not be chasing and so thankful for a lot of things, sometimes for the things that are chains to us, but may we be chasing that which you have for us. May we be uh, thankful for those that have come before us, recognizing that now the baton is in our hands. May we be faithful, Lord, so that the next generation, your church would be strong. There would be people who, who love you, who understand your word. I pray that would be so. And even as we go into this week, Go back to the world you have for us and even enter into this season. May you remind us of of Jesus. May you remind us of of the grace that can be ours, a hope, the forgiveness of sins, the eternal destiny you have for us. And God, may you remind us of the purpose you've given us to share that with others even this week. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good day.